Heads up, this episode contains content relating to suicide and suicidal ideations, which might be a sensitive topic for some listeners. Welcome everyone to another interview here with Sia Marte. Um, one of the things we try to do in this podcast is not only feature guests from, you know, from around the musical world, uh, but also our own CMRT members and founders. So we are joined today by Kelsey Williams, horn player. How are you doing, Kelsey? I'm doing all right. How are you, Ben? Uh, I'm fine. I'm back in sunny Houston, sunny today. Not sunny recently, but today the weather was amazing. Well, there's uh, snow on the ground here, so you're doing all right. Great. That's exactly why I fled Chicago. So, <laughs> although you're not even in Chicago. No. That's right. Where are you? I'm in upstate New York right now. I came home for the holidays. I am following all of the quarantine and state regulations between the two states. Plenty of COVID testing and quarantining. Always fun. Mm-hmm. It's good um, to be home, though. That's okay. for sure. For sure. So I wanna, um, I wanna get right into it today. Um, we wanna hear uh, your experience, your sort of mental health story. So um, I'm just gonna turn it right over to you and let you go ahead and 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 tell us what needs to be said. Yeah, wow. My mental health journey. (laughs) The comprehensive overview, I guess. Um, You know, when I think about it, I really have struggled with my mental health um, for a very long time. It was definitely a thing of my childhood before I knew what it was. My parents got divorced when I was eight, And I remember taking that incredibly hard. Um, And, you know, there are elements of that that I still deal with today. But that was kind of the awakening of my emotional journey, if you will. Um, Lots of intense feelings. My family did family therapy. So I am um, not a stranger to therapy. We started very young did that for a couple years and then I kind of took a break from it and went about my childhood as we all do. In high school, I had some troubles with bullying, uh, being bullied. So that, you know, things got a little intense then, but it certainly was bearable. Um, You know, I cry (laughs) as many of us do, but it, it wasn't anything that I couldn't handle. I went to SUNY Fredonia for my undergraduate degree in music education. And while I was there, I also started to struggle with an eating disorder uh, in the form of bulimia. And, you know, it's, it's really interesting for me to sit here and talk about this because not a lot of people know uh, especially about that element. I've definitely been very open about dealing with my mental health, but it, it's always been a bit guarded. Uh, so I'm, I'm thankful to CMRT for giving me the courage to kind of 
share the full story of my mental health journey. So it was like sophomore year of my undergrad. Started struggling with bulimia. It wasn't crazy intense. Um, it was certainly manageable enough that I was able to keep it hidden very well. Um, then I graduated and I decided that I was going to go to Northwestern for my master's degree in horn performance. And the summer before moving was kind of the first time that things started to take a turn with my mental health. It was really intense. I wasn't feeling like I could handle things on my own. I wasn't feeling like I could really hide it. Um, you know, I was about to go through a pretty big transition. I had never been west, really, at all. I grew up in upstate New York. And moving to Chicago was the furthest west I'd ever been. So I was scared. I had no idea what to expect. I was going through a breakup at the time. And unfortunately, the timing of that was... It, it was not so great because I started to associate this idea that, you know, when I'm showing my struggle, when people know about my struggle, it seemed as though that was the reason people would push me away. It was too much for other people to handle. So that, that was a lasting lesson that I don't know I, I should have learned, right? You know, I... That stuck with me. <laughs> yeah, talk a little bit about that because I think you know, for a lot of us in our uh, in our sort of mental health journeys, there comes a point where what has been like a manageable internal struggle becomes something that is neither manageable nor possible to keep internal. Um, and so, so you just mentioned you know how that affected your relationship. Yeah, talk a little more about that. Did you did you open up? To people? What were their reactions? You know, how did that happen? Well, at first, as I always do, I tried to tell myself to just buck up and deal with it on my own, which, uh, newsflash, that's almost 100% of the time not the answer, <laughs> just, just so we're all on the same page about that one. Um, you know, I felt my significant other pulling away and that, of course, made me want to cling even harder. I, I, it was such a time for me. I really, I felt like I was drowning, to, to be very frank. And I, you know, there was one night um, I was sitting, I had been in my room almost all day. You know, it was a wonderful perk if I could get myself to practice. Um, but I had been holed up all day, basically just hiding from my family. You know, it's like my family didn't do anything to me to deserve that, but I just, I felt like I had to hide. And I was sobbing <laughs> uncontrollably, and I could not, I could not pull it together. And somehow I texted my mom from my room and she came up well I remember she had responded uh come downstairs you can hang out with me down here I'm gonna put a movie on 
And I didn't respond because I just, I couldn't get myself out of bed. I just could not do it. And she came, you know, after realizing that I wasn't responding, she came upstairs and came into my room and she just held me and rocked me. And sorry for getting emotional. I cannot help it. Um, that was it's a really beautiful moment and it's a really humbling moment, right? To, to be a 20 something year old having to be rocked by your mother because you are, you're just, you're on empty. You, you can't, you can't help yourself in that moment. And it was after that, that I realized I really need to get some help. This is beyond what I'm capable of. This is beyond what my mom is capable of. Yeah. Well, that's, that's just an amazing moment. I mean, would you, if, if you don't mind, um, would you be a little more specific about what you were struggling with in that moment? Was it, you know, was it stuff relating to the, to the eating disorder? Was it, you know, sort of anxiety or, or, you know, stuff related to the move or, or, you know, what, what do you think was going on then? Yeah. A lot of my depression stems from loneliness. Um, so of course there is the element of, you know, being pushed away from my boyfriend at the time certainly didn't help with feeling lonely and this huge looming transition and the the fear of the unknown i would i'm always so worried that i'm not going to be accepted by people and that i'm going to going to have to continue to struggle feeling lonely which you know intellectually i know that i have friends and i know that i have people that love me and that care about me but it really is an entirely another battle to believe that. And so that was really where a lot of the struggle came from. And, you know, a lot of it, I love to control things. And so much of that was out of my control. You can't tell somebody else to keep loving you. You know, people fall out of love. That's a thing. And I couldn't, there was no way that I could control whatever was going to happen when I moved to Chicago. I, you know, it's the fear of the unknown. And it really, uh, everything just kind of piled up on top of the other and it was too much. Mm. Yeah. So then, uh, yeah, of course. So then, so tell us a little more about what happened when you came to Chicago. Uh, well, everything happened when I moved to Chicago. It is the best thing that I've ever done. Um, I love Chicago. I think it's a great city. And, you know, I, I thought I wanted to teach, and then I was like, you know, maybe I want to play. I'm not totally sure. After my student teaching, I kind of thought maybe I want to play more than I want to teach, uh, to be honest. And so I did my performance degree uh, for my master's at Northwestern, and it was incredible um, in both positive and negative ways. I kind of, I always felt like I was playing catch up at Northwestern. Um, you know, I didn't have the same 
kind of training and background. Um, you know, I didn't, I didn't really listen to a lot of classical music, if I'm being really honest. I remember um, a studio class where a guest was going to be coming in, and every, we were assigned to different sections, and we had, everyone had different pieces, different section excerpts they were going to play in this master class, and it was Mahler 3. Mahler, like we're talking Mahler, like the Beyonce of classical music, right? And I had done, I had never heard Mahler 3 before, and I was like, oh shit, I guess I, I, I guess I better go listen to this now. So there was a lot of that going on. The Beyonce on. of classical music. I'm going to run that one. <laughs> right. Everybody knows Mahler, right, in the classical music world. But I didn't. And I, you know, there was always that element of like, oh, my God, all these people know all this stuff. All these people have been practicing like crazy forever. I really, I need to catch up. So I always felt like I was chasing after something. What it was, I don't know what. Um, and then in my second year, I auditioned for Civic Orchestra of Chicago, also something that I, um, didn't really know about, and I was encouraged to do it, auditioned, and I got in, and I was like, wait, what? This, this is awesome, but also, what the hell? How did I get in? This is not, like, this can't be. This is impossible. And that, I really think, is the beginning of an intense struggle with imposter syndrome. Which leads me to the next year. I was done with my master's degree. It was my first year out of school, which is, you know, that's a crazy, scary transition in and of itself. But I was super fortunate to have a lot of freelance work opportunities. I, of course, I had Civic, but I was also playing extra with Chicago Symphony and with Lyric Opera, which on paper looks like the absolute best year of my life. I mean, you you get out of school, and if you're going to freelance for a little bit, I don't know that you can ask for much better than that, right? I, you know, of course I was on cloud nine getting, you know, asked to do any of these gigs, but what ended up happening, this, this uh, imposter syndrome that I had already been dealing with, you know, now all of a sudden I'm playing with these people who have been in the business 30, 40 years longer than me and are absolute world-class musicians. And then there's me, like this, in my head, this nobody, right? Just kind of waltzing in and playing, playing with these amazing musicians. And I just could not get it in my head that I deserved to be there in the slightest. Mm. Yeah, talk a little bit more about that because so that you didn't you didn't experience that necessarily when you got into civic, of course not to the same level. Yeah, well, I there that was kind of the beginning of it for me was the civic experience. Like, wait, how the hell did I get into this? It's my first time auditioning. I don't really know what I'm doing, but you know, just 
fake it till you make it, right? And right. You know, but then there's... you're playing with the Chicago Symphony, and that's a that's a different ball game. Yeah, walking on that stage, you know, it's these people we romanticize our musician idols, right? We're like these people are superhuman. I've been listening to them forever. Although, you know, I already admitted earlier that I hadn't been listening forever. But once I started listening, they of course are at the top of my list. And it's just, I could not understand why I was there. Again, there's that element of intellectually, I know, okay, well, they, they asked me, they obviously want me here. But I just would absolutely spiral in my anxiety, would just go through the roof. So Horn in general became this like huge looming monster. It was this thing, I, I really started to hate it. And that was... That was a heartbreaking time. It was really, I hated practicing, which I have always loved practicing. Weird and kind of nerdy, but, you know, whatever. I always loved it. And then all of a sudden I hated it, and I never wanted to touch my horn. I lived with musicians, so I felt like I could never get away from anything. And I was crumbling. I just, I didn't want anything to do with it. And I was seemingly getting sucked further and further into it. So. Yeah, it's, ama- it's amazing how, how, you know, when you, in some ways, when you achieve something that you, you know, couldn't even have dreamed of a few years earlier, you know, you're a senior at SUNY Fredonia and someone says, in three years, you're going to be, you know, regularly playing with the Chicago Symphony or Lyric Opera. You know, you'd be, you'd be over the moon. You'd be, it would be the greatest thing anyone ever said to you. Right. You know? But then, but then you're there living it, and all of a sudden, you know, not only are you not enjoying it, but in fact, it, it, it causes your whole relationship to music to deteriorate. I mean, was there a was there a, a sort of a moment that you remember just thinking like, "Wow, this is surreal! Like, this is what I'm doing, and this is how I feel about it." Yeah, um, <laughs> there was one week playing with the CSO, and. You know, things had been building up for quite some time. I was starting to just have awful experiences with performance anxiety. I felt like my future hung on every note I played, which is ridiculous. First of all, I play horn. There is no horn player in the world that exists that doesn't miss any notes, right? But, you know, we get it built up in our heads that... These our idols are superhuman and they, they never mess up. They're perfect. First of all, wrong. But I was all in, baby. Like, I hardcore believed it. And I had been so anxious about everything horn-related. And I was driving downtown uh, to the first rehearsal for this cycle. And what were we playing? I'm, it was Pines of Rome. I was playing assistant. And I had a panic attack on my drive downtown to this rehearsal. And I, I was like, oh, my God, what am I gonna, I cannot go on stage. I'm going to puke. Like, I will throw up. I'm not going to be able to play my horn. I'm going to crack everything. I'm going to sound like trash. 
And I remember calling a dear mentor of mine from my undergrad, my wind ensemble director. And she talked to me off a ledge and was just like, you know what? This probably isn't going to be the most fulfilling experience you've ever had. I know you're struggling. You can do this one step at a time. You know, all that kind of stuff, just grounding me a little bit. And I was like, wow, okay, I have to go do this, you know, whatever. Of course, the rehearsal was fine, but that, it, it was exhausting to be on stage and to be fighting through every single note, thinking like, you know, basically making it a life or death situation just to play my damn horn. You know what I mean? Yeah. Somehow out of all that, you know, when you say, of course it was fine, what that makes me think of is, you, you know, you obviously, that was a, a very extreme situation you, you were in. And I totally, you know, I totally ID with that feeling of like, you know, you're, you're, you're stuck between the rock and the hard place, right? Where you feel like you can't do anything. You can't go on stage, but mm-hmm. you also can't not go on stage. You're not, you can't like, you know, cancel the rehearsal. What are you supposed to do? Right. And yet, you know, anxiety like that has this way of like, replacing our memory with fear because at least when I, you know, would get nervous about performances or auditions or whatever, you know, it's always that thought where it's like, my God, this is the time that everything's going to go wrong. And if I can just make it through the next hour, you know, everything's going to be okay. And yet that happens every time. And somehow we, you know, I don't know if we forget or if we just devalue or whatever, you know, the last 25 times when you felt exactly that same way and yet everything was fine like it always is. Right. We get so trapped in survival mode, really. It's it's hard. It's really hard to get out of that. And, you know, so after that cycle, of you know, that whole week felt very icky, to say the least. And, you know... <sighs> Every night that week during that cycle, I cried myself to sleep because I was really struggling with this idea. You are living the dream. You are playing with this incredible orchestra. You could have never seen this coming. And you're hating every moment of it right now because you are that stuck in in your struggle and it I just I had a real heck of a time trying to get myself out of that and um you know it finally got it all came to a head after that cycle um you know I'd been crying myself to sleep every night and I had been struggling with suicidal ideation which is not something anyone should be taken taking lightly um i always thought of myself as somebody who had healthy thoughts around suicide if that isn't an oxymoron i don't know and maybe there is a way to have healthy thoughts about it but i was still thinking about it it was suicide so just, ideation, either way you look at it. So just, just to, so people who are listening may not know, 
Um, what is suicidal ideation? Suicidal ideation isn't, it's not this, this thing that you act on suicide, you attempt it. It certainly can get to that point, but it's this, this idea. Sometimes you build a fantasy about it in your head, like, you know, well, you know, if I killed myself, then maybe people would care. Right. And that, that is a low point. And I, you know, I always thought of myself as this healthy person that had somewhat of a grip on that. So I would be okay. I didn't need serious help. But, you know, during that week, I had thought about it more and more and just kept asking myself this question, what's the point? Because it wasn't just like it was this element of my life. Horn was everything at that point. I was I couldn't compartmentalize. Like that was it and the struggle was all consuming. And so I couldn't I just couldn't get out of it. And so I had thought about it and thought about it and just every night constantly crying myself to sleep, just being like, Why am I doing this? This is this is not worth it because this is not enjoyable. I'm not sure this is what life is supposed to be. And um, there was a night that I was crying myself to sleep yet again. And it really... It was an out-of-body experience. Um, I remember feeling like it wasn't me, and there, but there was nothing I could do to control it. And I got out of bed. I, you know, I was seeing a therapist at the time, and I was on medications. And I went into my bathroom and opened the medicine cabinet and started to read um, all the labels on my pills to see that if I could do it. And luckily, I don't know how but I snapped out of it and, you know, kind of like came back into my body, if you will, and immediately had my second panic attack. You know, the first one was driving down to rehearsal, but this was the second panic attack that I'd ever experienced. And it was, you know, it was really intense. I couldn't breathe. I was freaking out. But I had housemates, and I knew, I was like, I don't know what needs to happen, but I can't, I'm not doing it by myself, whatever, whatever needs to happen from here. And so I went into my housemate's room, uh, Rennie, who we will hear from her on our blog, actually, here at CMRT. She's a wonderful human being. Um, and she has also struggled with mental health and mental illness. 
So my subconscious just knew that I could go to her. And I went in her room and sat on her bed, you know, hyperventilating, not being able to breathe, and, like, you know, hysterically crying, like, barely getting out the words to tell her what just happened, and she just, she just sat there with me and just helped me try to breathe, and that was it. She wasn't trying to fix anything. Um, she held space for me, <laughs> which is something that we, you know, we talk a lot about at CMRT. Um, and she kind of got me, got me more grounded, and, you know, we talked about things, and she, she was just there for me, and it was, it was a really huge moment, and I will, you know, will be forever grateful to Rennie in that moment for what she did for me. This was pretty helpful. <laughs> wow, Kelsey. Thank you so much for sharing all that. That's so, um, that's so powerful to hear. And, uh, um, so, so you said you were in therapy at the time you were, you were taking medication at the time. Um, so, so what happened after that? You know, did you then go back and tell your therapist? I mean, what's, yeah. what, what happens? Um, lots, you know, after everything came to a point like that, it was the first time that I really felt like I was able to do the work on healing. Um, oddly enough, I had a trip planned that was to happen a week after all this went down. And it was a solo trip to California. Um, I love the outdoors and hiking. And so I was going to go explore some national parks out there, uh, mainly because I had found a, a plane ticket through Southwest for like 120 bucks round trip to get out to LA and back. So I was like, yeah, I'm doing this. Um, I wasn't planning <laughs> to experience all of that a week before the trip. And so I went into my next therapy session and I, I told my therapist and I thought she was gonna, you know, freak out and be like, oh my God, like we have to do this and that and all, all this stuff. And she just kind of was like, again, someone just holding space for me. And I was like, wait a second, it's okay for me to have emotions. It's not like... You know, people will be there for me. My friends will be there. Of course, my therapist will be there for me because I pay her to be. But, you know, it, she was just like, okay. And I told her about this solo trip. I was like, I don't know if I should be going. And, you know, she, we had talked before about my love of being outdoors and how helpful that is to me. You know, nature's medicine, if you will. And she just told me, you know, I think you should go. And I was like, okay, sure. I'm, 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 I just had that experience and now I'm going to fly to California by myself. But like, whatever. And it turned out to be an incredibly healing week for me. I was by myself. I met up with some friends here and there. But I 
was standing on the Santa Monica Pier and by myself just kind of exploring and looking out over the water and I I just started to cry but it was it was a it was like a good cry it was like you know that was some scary shit that you just went through but boy is it worth it like you absolutely deserve to be here you deserve to be able to explore uh and you deserve to be happy and i just i just cried and released and you know there are hundreds of people walking around and i'm just like standing there on this super popular area just going through it but in the best way possible and i I will always be thankful that I ended up doing that trip because it, it yeah. was much more than just discovering a couple new national parks. Right. Well, but that's so interesting though, that, that after that, that moment, which was in so many ways, like a low point for you, that it was, you know, you'd been in therapy and you felt like you had this healing experience that was not part of therapy. That was, mm-hmm. you know, it was your own therapy. Yes. But it, you know, but it wasn't, sort of traditional therapy therapy so so how did your experience because you mentioned that you know even at the very beginning you mentioned that you'd been in therapy with your with your parents from when you were tiny um how did having all these experiences then like affect your relationship with your actual therapist or with the therapy that you were going through with him or her um You know, there's a certain element of the comfort level, right? Like, therapy, it is a beautiful thing, and it is incredibly helpful, and I really, I firmly believe that everyone should have a therapist. Uh, But, you know, there is an element of comfort, and there can be some trial and error. Um, And because I had experience as a young child and then also um, during my undergrad and then later you know going back to therapy again after my master's degree I kind of knew what I was looking for but but it's really something that people have to keep in mind Um, you as musicians we are used to taking auditions we're used to being the ones who are being auditioned, right? But you also have the same right to audition your therapist. And you have the same right to kind of say, this doesn't work for me, this isn't the right fit. You know, because if you're not comfortable, we hide things from our therapist, you know? It's like, it's up to you what you say. They're not going to force you to say anything. So, you know, to be able to not have any of the walls up when you're in therapy is is a really wonderful thing. And that's something that I, I had at that time. So mm-hmm. I w- was very lucky in that way to be able to be like, to, to roll up to a therapy session and be like, you know, I was driving down here and I was thinking, I'm not sure that I really want to tell her this, uh, but I think I will. And being able to just say that, you know what I mean? And just yeah, no filter whatsoever. So... Um, one last question. I'm just, I'm curious, you know, after you went on this trip to, to California, then presumably you did not take your horn with you while you went on this backpacking trip. Incredibly then, correct. <laughs> okay, great. I would be worried if you did. Right. Then, um, 
after you came back, you know, and you start playing again and, and, and doing the, your normal thing. So what was that like? How had your relationship with the instrument changed? Yeah, that, that element was definitely not immediate. Um, you know, a lot of us are instant gratification folks, right? But healing is a process and healing takes time. I mean, I am still working through a lot of uh, that experience, but I was at least in more of a place where I could, I knew that I needed to give myself the space. Um, so that, that helped to alleviate the life or death element of every note I play on horn. Um, I, in my therapy sessions, we, we were able to finally just start unpacking all of, all of those issues with horn and not, well, how should I put this? Really getting to the underlying issues. It's not horn itself, right? There, when you unpack that and you get to the bottom of it, it, it's these other underlying issues that need addressing. It's not horn itself. Horn doesn't actually pose a threat to me. I pose the threat to myself. And so after that moment, we were really able to start working through it. And I was able to kind of find a better balance for myself with horn and compartmentalizing horn. And, and really realizing that I have so much more to offer than just one. I'm not just a musician. Of right? course. I'm a human being first. Yeah. Well, and so I, I'm so happy to hear you say all that um, and to see you. Not everyone else can see you, but I can see you smiling. So <laughs> that's nice. Um, yes. And, and knowing that you still feel like you're, you know, on the path to healing like, like everyone is in some way. For sure. So thank you so much, Kelsey. Thank you for coming and sharing your story and being so open. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thanks for having me. It's, a, it's an honor. No, it's not an honor. This organization exists partially because of you. So, <laughs> Well, I guess thank you. <laughs> Thanks, everyone, for listening, too. Okay, bye. <laughs> bye.